You are listening to the India in Focus podcast, jointly brought to you by the Lakshmi Mittal and Family South Asia Institute at Harvard University and the Times of India. Hello and welcome to this episode of the India in Focus podcast. I'm Ira Pundir, the Communications Manager at Harvard's Lakshmi Mittal and Family South Asia Institute. We are joined today by Daniyar Patel. Patel is the Assistant Professor in the Department of History at the SPJN Institute of Management and Research. He teaches courses on modern South Asia, the Indian Nationalist Movement, and the British Empire. In 2015, he received his PhD in History from Harvard. His biography of Dadabhai Naroji, Naroji, Pioneer of Indian Nationalism, was published by Harvard University Press in May 2020. He has received two Fulbright Fellowships and a fellowship from the National Endowment for the Humanities for his research. Daniyar Patel, welcome to this podcast. Thank you very much, Ira, for having me here. In your recent book, Naroji, Pioneer of Indian Nationalism, you have talked about Naroji as a key figure in the Indian Nationalist Movement during the 19th and 20th centuries, a key figure in shaping the global thinking of colonialism and the impact of the development of global capitalist economy on the global south. For those who haven't read the book, could you expand on how Naroji developed the idea of Swaraj during his political career? Sure. So um, Swaraj was the idea that was really associated with uh, Naroji for a very long time. I mean, both he and Tilak were, were two of the people who really popularized uh, the idea. And for Naroji, it, it grew out of an economic understanding of why India was so poor. Uh, Naroji is perhaps most famous for his drain theory. Uh, the idea that British colonialism was directly causing the impoverishment of India. Uh, and according to Naroji's drain theory, was, I mean, Naroji was, you know, even though he, he, he studied economics at an academic level, he was always interested in practical political solutions to problems. Um, according to Naroji's drain theory, um, the drain can be stopped or, or reduced uh, in proportion to how much control Indians had over their own government and country. Uh, so under full colonial rule, you had a drain, but as you approach something like self-government or Swaraj, uh, the drain stopped and eventually would dry up once once you um, once you uh, had Swaraj. Uh, so in, in that case, both ideas were very in- interconnected, the idea of a drain and the idea of Swaraj. And uh, by around the 1880s, you know, about maybe halfway through his, his political career, uh, he realizes that self-government is is the thing that India needed to, to strive for. That was the only way that India could escape the cycle of worsening poverty. You've mentioned that Naroji's idea of Swaraj evolved from contact with uh, European liberalism and socialism. And at the same time, uh, it had a significant influence on the glo- growth of global anti-colonialism and anti-racism. Uh, could you talk about his uh, influences uh, behind uh, the shaping of his uh, ideas? Absolutely. So, so for, for me, at least, this was the most interesting part of his career. The, the people who he was in communication with, both people who he borrowed ideas from and people who uh, he influenced. Uh, so since Dadavai Naroji lived for so long in in London, uh, where he uh, both was a businessman and eventually a politician, uh, he was in contact with some of the leading thinkers uh, in the West at that time, Um, or he read at least what they were writing. Uh, So when he was formulating his ideas of the drain of wealth or ideas for political rights for India, or eventually things like Swaraj, uh, he was borrowing ideas from people uh, like John Stuart Mill, for example, 
um, his ideas on political economy specifically and the role of capital in, in an economy. Um, and at the same time, his ideas might have had an influence um, on people like Karl Marx, for example. Uh, so one of uh, Naroji's very good friends and, and colleague uh, was a man called Henry Hinman. And Hinman was um, the first individual to set up a socialist political party uh, in Great Britain. He was in, 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 in his own right an important figure in socialism in, in Great Britain. Uh, and he was also very, very interested in, in India uh, and colonial misrule in India. Uh, and through Hinman, um, Naroji's ideas of a drain of wealth probably found uh, their way to Karl Marx. Uh, we know that in 1881, he wrote a letter, uh, Marx wrote a letter to one of his colleagues in Russia uh, talking about the drain. Uh, so, you know, the idea had a, a pretty long uh, intellectual history and through socialist contacts, um, you know, that was how the drain kind of was built into ideas of anti-colonialism that were not just limited to India, that had resonance throughout the rest of the colonized world. Hmm. So how would you place Naroji's uh, thoughts vis-a-vis -vis capitalism? Was he an anti-capitalist or was he a propounder of independent capitalist development? So again, his his overriding uh, concern was the poverty of India. Uh, so if capitalism worked in a way that uh, was truly fair, um, in in a way that uh, you know both India and Britain or any other country with 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 which India traded uh, had a free and equal relationship, um, then he was fine with that. But he ultimately realized that under colonialism, such freedom or equality was inherently impossible, right? I mean, you know, the British would talk about free trade, uh, but that didn't mean anything because India was already uh, grossly handicapped by the structure of colonialism. And in this sense, it's, it's quite similar to Ranade's ideas that, uh, you know, Ranade talked about how classical economic principles did not really apply to India and its colonial situation. Uh, so in this sense, Naroji was definitely a supporter of maybe not protectionism per se, but policies um, which had an overriding concern for the welfare of India. You know, to, to give you one example, when Jamshidji Tata is looking for capital to raise for his um, various ventures, including you know, steelworks and such, um, he's thinking of going to London to raise capital. And Naroji says, no, you should really raise it from uh, Indian sources uh, or else, again, you'll be ensnared in this uh, colonial relationship. Um, and again, as time goes on, uh, you can see that Naroji develops very critical views of capitalism, at least capitalism as it exists. Uh, he talked about kind of an inimical relationship between capital and labor. Um, he was supportive of labor and union movements in Great Britain. Um, and he wanted to see some sort of structure where the, the state intervened in order to remedy the excesses of, of capitalism. Can you address uh, the influence of Naroji on Mahatma Gandhi? Sure. Uh, so... We, we don't know precisely when Naroji and, and Gandhi first meet one another. I mean, there's a chance they met one another when, when Gandhi was a student um, in London in the late 1880s and early 1890s. And, and surely they, they, they attended uh, the same functions. We don't know precisely how well they knew one another by that point in time. But in 1894, Gandhi sends his first letter to Naroji and he says, I'm in South Africa now. I'm leading a campaign for the rights of Indians against oppressive policies that, you know, the, the, the white minority in Natal was imposing on, on Indians. Uh, can you help me as a father would guide a, a son? Um, and so for, for that point on, from that point onward, Naroji really emerges as someone who popularizes Gandhi's activities in South Africa uh, to a wider audience in London as well as in India. So Naroji kind of becomes a, a communications node for amplifying 
uh, Gandhi's uh, ideas. Um, and eventually, you know, again, um, Narochi emerges for Gandhi as a nationalist role model. Um, even though the two met one another very briefly, uh, it's, it's clear from Gandhi's writings that the example that Naroji set as a nationalist leader who persisted in spite of, t of terrible odds uh, was very inspirational uh, to Gandhi during his struggle in South Africa. I mean, he, he says in his paper, Indian Opinion, uh, in one column, uh, Naroji's career is, you know, is an example to those of us in South Africa who have been struggling and, you know, have faced so many failures. Uh, but we realize, like, just as in Naroji's career, you can, there are some silver linings uh, to all the trouble that we've had to go through. You know, Naroji demanded Swaraj in the Congress session of 1906. Uh, does, did that make him a radical politician on the along the lines of uh, Bal Gangadhar Tilak? Or uh, uh, was he still a moderate? Or where would you place him? Yeah, so I would, you know, I would place him, at least this is what I've argued in, in the book, uh, Nauruji was was somewhere in the middle between the moderate and the extremist camp. Uh, he certainly was not like Tilak. I mean, Tilak had much more advanced views in terms of the methods in which to achieve political ends. And whereas Tilak and Nauruji shared the same idea of what those ends should be by the end of Nauruji's career, Swaraj, uh, and not necessarily Swaraj in any sort of imperial context such as colonial self-government, um, Nauruji could not uh, could not accept all of the tactics that Tilak was willing to countenance, strikes, boycotts, things like, uh, you know, things that, that could strike one as being anti-constitutional or, or uh, against certain tactics that the moderates had used. So he, he really occupies an unusual position in his, in his last few years. The moderates think that he's too extremist and the extremists think that he's uh, too moderate. Uh, but his 1906 speech in the Calcutta Congress, where he served as the president, and this was the last really major political speech that Nairoji gives. It's, it's the, it's, it marks the end of his career, uh, really kind of in many ways hands the baton over to the extremists. Uh, the, moderates, the moderates are not terribly happy at what Nairoji says at uh, the Congress in terms of his support for Swaraj, his, uh, his support for the Swadeshi movement, uh, his support for what was going on in Bengal at this point in time after the partition of Bengal. Um, and really, momentum is given to the extremists. And this is something that people like Tilak recognize, um, that even though Naroji might be too moderate for many of the extremists in many of the, the tactics he is, he is, he is uh, advocating, ultimately, he's on the same page with them in terms of the, the end political goal. Uh, and he's given stimulus to them uh, to take the movement forward and evolve the ideas beyond just what the moderate camp has uh, you know, pledged itself towards. And uh, what would you say about the influence of uh, Nauroji on uh, Sebastian Bose uh, in the later course of nationalism in India? Hmm. Well, uh, you know, to tell you the truth, I, I don't know too much about Netaji Bose. Um, you know, obviously, uh, for someone of Bose's generation, you know, since Bose was considered in, you know, kind of the younger guard of the, the, the next generation of nationalist leaders, even to people like Gandhi, uh, Nauruji was someone who, again, they would not have been familiar with uh, personally, but the example uh, that Nauruji uh, had given of, of someone who was, you know, a, a pioneering nationalist leader, someone who was uh, concerned about the poverty and economic condition of India would, would have had definite resonance. Um, you know, as again, as to specific influences and such that Bose took from Nauruji's career, I'm, I'm a little unsure about that. I, I need to study Bose's career a bit more before commenting on that. Fair enough. Um, so how do we interpret terms like nationalism in Swaraj in today's India, where 
some of those terms are being appropriated to imply a certain form of extremism. So with regard to Naroji, uh, what do you think uh, his, uh, about his ideas uh, and how they have, uh, you know, been implied in today's popular culture? Nationalism has always had kind of a double meaning in India, right? I mean, um, you know, we, we can talk about nationalism term, in terms of what's going on today, in terms of um, the Hindu nationalism pro uh, propounded by this government. Uh, and we can talk about the nationalism that uh, people like Naroji or Gandhi and Nehru and uh, everyone else in that generation uh, propounded. Um, and even though the same word is employed, the two ideas could not be more radically different, right? Um, the nationalism of uh, the, the anti-colonial and independence movements was always very embracing of all aspects of, of India's diversity. Of, of course, there were failures, right? I mean, in, in terms of uh, outreach to lower castes and then, of course, outreach to Muslims. But it was never really explicitly inimical to those interests of, of people who, um, you know, compose different aspects of Indian society, whereas today's nationalism, of course, is. Um, so, I mean, the, the Indian nationalism of the earlier era was always quite outward looking, very liberal, uh, very willing to kind of change uh, and revise stances based on, uh, you know, different conclusions they draw from, from uh, you know, lessons they've learned over time. Uh, so it's very different from kind of the anti-intellectualism, uh, the, the firm, you know, mindedness of, of today's brand of nationalists. It's, you know, the, the closed mindedness of today uh, amongst so-called nationalists uh, is completely antithetical to the, the very open-minded attitudes that people like Naroji or Gandhi had. Um, and lastly, I'll, I'll say that, you know, people like Gandhi, Naroji, Nehru, um, others, you know, VK Krishna Menon, Lala Lajpat Rai, etc., we could go on and on. All of these people knew that Indian nationalism was much more than just about being about India. Uh, it was about uh, emancipatory movements around the world, uh, whether those movements were anti-colonial struggles, uh, anti-racist struggles in terms of what African-Americans had to deal with in uh, America during the Jim Crow era. Uh, it was about uh, movements of people such as, you know, uh, people involved with the Labour Party in Great Britain or socialist movements in Great Britain, um, the Irish nationalists. So th there were all these kind of common interna international linkages that were created. Um, again, strikingly different with today's kind of assertive in inward looking nationalism that really sees uh, India is kind of this great bulwark of, of culture uh, that doesn't necessarily have to learn something from the outside world. We know quite a bit about uh, Naroji as the political figure during the four to five decades of his life from uh, the time that he became the British uh, parliamentarian uh, to the time he declared uh, the call for Swaraj uh, in 1906. Uh, but can you talk a little bit about his early years, uh, how, like, where did he grow up and how was his upbringing? Uh, we would like to know a little bit more about that. Sure. So the the one, you know, th this this is the most difficult part of Naroji's life to research because a, a lot of the sources just don't exist. Uh, um, so in many ways, that was the most that uh, that was one of the most interesting parts of the, the project for me. It was exciting to kind of piece together uh, pieces of a jigsaw puzzle when a lot of the pieces don't exist anymore. Uh, but one thing is very clear. I mean, one reason why Naroji was so concerned about poverty during his life uh, was because he grew up in, in relatively impoverished circumstances. He was he was born in Bombay, 
Um, but his parents were from uh, rural Gujarat, uh, areas around Navsari and Dharampur in southern Gujarat. Uh, and these areas had experienced uh, a bad famine just before Nauruji was born. So there's a good chance that his parents migrated in the first place to Bombay to escape famine-like conditions. Um, and he grew up, again, you know, in relative impoverish impoverishment. Uh, his father died at a relatively young age. So, I mean, there, there are severe economic handicaps in his own life. Um, but the one thing that really kind of rescues his, uh, you know, trajectory, uh, rescues, you know, his political, his, his, his prospects for life at this point in time uh, was access to free education. Um, there was a, a unique experiment in free education in, in Bombay in, in the uh, 1830s and 1840s. Uh, and Nauruji uh, was enrolled in uh, an English language school uh, as a, a young child uh, where he did not have to pay any fees. Uh, and as he reflected later on in life, this was a formative experience for him. Uh, he realized that he had to give back something to society because ultimately uh, the free education that he received was paid by taxpayers, by ordinary Indians. Uh, so it really kind of wedded him to an idea that he needed to serve his life through some form of public service. Um, and the other thing I'll just talk about in terms of his uh, activities as, as a youth uh, was a commitment to uh, overarching reform. Uh, he saw Indian society around him and he kept on asking himself, how could reforms be uh, instituted uh, that will help people get uh, better educated, uh, that would help people improve their economic status? Uh, and to this end, he um, helped pioneer efforts such as female education in Bombay. Uh, he uh, helped promote uh, certain aspects of religious reform. Uh, and he st helped start a newspaper in 1851, uh, the goal of which was to help spread education uh, to those uh, people who couldn't afford it or just didn't have access to, uh, you know, a school or uh, a proper education. Uh, could you tell us a bit about uh, the method uh, that you used uh, for your research? Uh, what were the archival materials that you consulted during your uh, research for this book? Sure. Uh, so the bulk of material from this book derives from research that I did with Naroji's uh, private papers, his, his, his collection of letters, uh, which are in the, the National Archives in, in, in New Delhi. Um, and this is a collection of about 30,000 documents. Um, and, uh, you know, each document can be, you know, a few lines or it can be several pages. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a vast amount of material. Um, and I spent about two years at the National Archives going through material here. Um, it's really important if, if, you know, if anyone wants to undertake uh, a good historical um, investigation of, of research, it's really important to go right to the, the primary sources, right, uh, to, to read the actual letters that were written or received by a particular individual. This also is an extremely difficult task, right, because you're, you're wading through thousands and thousands of pages. Um, and for the first few months in, in any such project, you're, you're, you're kind of lost at sea, right? You're surrounded by stuff. Uh, there's too much information to process. But if you give it time, uh, things work out and you, you, you learn the rhythms of how, uh, you know, the person in question dealt with communication, how his ideas or her ideas developed. Um, so, you know, I, I went through about half of the existing papers in the Naroji collection. Um, and by the end of that uh, duration, when I've you know, gone through about 15,000 papers at least, uh, it emerged very clearly in my mind how Naroji's career developed. Uh, so, you know, you have to devote a lot of time uh, to, to give a, uh, a, you know, a, a, a fair uh, shake to, you know, any investigation of a historical figure. Knowing that uh, Naroji was one of the, uh, you know, one of the early figures uh, in Indian nationalism, uh, 
uh, why do you think do you think there's a core reason why he's really underwritten when it's when it comes to uh, the you know indian nationalism he's not written much about so do you feel uh, this any reason behind it yeah i i mean a, a good chunk of that explanation is is due to the fact that the early nationalists in general um are quite overshadowed of course by the later generation um they were very quickly eclipsed uh by gandhi's generation in popular imagination so even if you were in india in the 1920s or the 1930s already attention has shifted uh to a new generation of nationalists which is entirely expected right um another reason uh, i think is because a, a lot of what they wrote uh can strike um us today as being a little strange i mean ultimately people like naroji or ranade or gokhale were still talking about some measure of loyalty to british rule and, and obviously to those of us from you know thinking from our perspective today that can seem odd for a nationalist leader um but to them they were walking a very fine line right they were walking a tightrope between um you know a draconian colonial government that could easily quash the congress so they had to express some measure of loyalty uh and they at the same time did believe that british rule did impart certain good things to india a western education impetus for social reform so th- there was a degree of genuineness in in their belief uh, ultimately with time of course that 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 uh that feeling of uh you know that that sense of the good that british colonialism did for india diminished uh amongst people like naroji but it it was still there and that's an important thing that we need to consider um the last reason which i think people like naroji have been forgotten again is because today they're not terribly politically useful i mean naroji was a parsi ultimately right i mean he was he doesn't he would not have a large constituency today um, you know where his memory is you know intrinsically uh, important uh, to you know their their identification parsi's number only about 50 to 60000 in india today um whereas someone like ranade or, or gokhale uh would you know still have resonance right amongst uh, the maharashtrian community and such so th- there are a few reasons why but i think through the book what i really try to emphasize is that in terms of the ideas that he bequeaths uh, it's really important for us to remember someone like naroji because he was right there at the beginning definitely uh tenyar it was a pleasure to host you for this podcast and thank you for sharing your insights thank you very much ira it was a pleasure as well Thank you for tuning in. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify and SoundCloud and check out past episodes by visiting our show page at mithalsouthasiainstitute.harvard.edu/indiainfocuspodcast. Until next time.